welcome back to the Saving Delaware History Podcast. Today I have the pleasure of speaking with Mr. Wade Katz, a registered professional archaeologist, published historian, and recipient of the Archaeological Society of Delaware's Archibald Crozier Award for Distinguished Achievement in and Contributions to Archaeology. Thank you, Mr. Katz, for taking the time with us today to discuss the Battle of Cooch's Bridge. May I start by asking you, how did your interest in the site begin? Uh, good morning. Um, uh, thanks for, for the opportunity to talk about the battlefield and the house, the property. Um, my interest in this started in when I was a young boy. I grew up in Newark, so I've known about Cooch's Bridge and the battlefield uh, and the property for many years. Um, some of my earliest remembrances are riding my bicycle actually over Old Baltimore Pike when you could still do that and not take your life in your hands with the traffic um, and seeing the marker and the and the monument indicating that a revolutionary war event had actually occurred here in Delaware, which as a, as a young Delawarean, it's kind of exciting to see that and realize that your state is involved in some of these, these major events that occurred uh, during the American Revolution. So then my interest in the property expanded and uh, I have been doing research and studying the battlefield for and the property for probably about 40 years now. Oh, wow. Could you kind of just give us an idea of what the status of the Revolutionary War was before the Battle of Cooch's Bridge? So in the battle is fought on the 3rd of September 1777. Uh, and prior to that, uh, the war had been uh, going on really since the about April of 1775. So the war was in its second year at this point. Um, in 1776, probably considered to be sort of the low point of the American Revolution, uh, Washington's army had been driven across New Jersey. We had uh, lost, the, the American forces had lost uh, New York City to the uh, Crown forces and a large Crown Forces Army composed of Loyalist soldiers, Hessian soldiers, and British soldiers had driven the Americans across New Jersey into Philadelphia so that by the winter of 1776, December of 1776, Philadelphia looked like it was threatened and uh, the war could end relatively quickly. Um, the Crown Forces did not cross the river and instead Washington in two kind of really remarkably brilliant battles at Trenton and then uh, uh, 10 days later at Princeton kind of reverses the entire tide of the, of the war and goes into winter quarters in New Jersey. So the American forces go into winter quarters uh, outside of Morristown, New Jersey kind of spread out. So this is now the winter of 1777 and the crown forces stayed in a group of garrisons uh, coming out to New Brunswick, Raritan Landing uh, Staten Island for Amboy and New York City. Uh, in the spring of 1777, uh, the American army, which is now sort of a new version of itself uh, in that Washington had realized uh, you cannot fight a war with short-term enlistments, that you needed soldiers who were willing to serve for three years or the duration of the war. So, so the army began to rebuild but the enlistments changed the composition of the army. Uh, and you're beginning to see the, we're seeing the beginning of uh, that more professional army, an army that's going to fight for the entire war. 
So in the spring of 1777, uh, Philadelphia is still the objective of the Crown forces uh, under Sir William Howe. Uh, that British force, that army, um, tries to maneuver Washington out of the area in the uh, Morristown, uh, New Jersey, which is the Watchung Mountains. Uh, they're unable to do so. They do not draw Washington down out of the mountains. They pull back across New Jersey to Staten Island. Uh, there's a small engagement, uh, an attempt at a, again to defeat a portion of Washington's army in June of 1777. Washington extricates his forces at the Battle of Short Hills uh, in, New, in outside of Metuchen, New Jersey. The Crown forces pull back onto Staten Island and then in July, uh, Sir William Howe embarks somewhere around 15,000, roughly 15,000 soldiers uh, with supporting artillery, wagons, horses, uh, civilian forces, etc., onto a British fleet, which is commanded by his brother, Lord Richard Howe. And uh, the two of them set sail out of Staten Island. And for much of the summer of 1777, Washington is unsure exactly where this force is going to land. Uh, at one point, the concern is that they're going to join forces with uh, General Burgoyne's army, which is moving its way down the Hudson River Valley from Canada. But that doesn't seem to be what they're doing. So Washington's army is sitting up sort of in the, in the north of Philadelphia area, waiting to see where this Crown forces fleet will show up. Uh, it took them about six weeks to finally reach where they were going, which was an extremely long period of time to keep that many soldiers and animals uh, in the fleet. Uh, when they finally do land, they land in August, late August uh, at uh, Elkton, or what is really the, the point in Elkton, uh, Elkneck area of, New Jer of uh, Maryland. And that fleet is about a 270-plus ship fleet. It's massive. It's probably one of the largest invasion fleets, I think, that has certainly come into American waters at any given time. So it, it drops the invasion force off at Elk Neck in Maryland, and this is in late August, 25th of August. Washington responds to this once, he's, once it's confirmed that this is really where the uh, Crown forces have landed. And again, remembering that Philadelphia is the target. Philadelphia is the national capital of the fledgling United States. Uh, in, in a European warfare, if you seize the enemy's capital, you win the war because the capital is the, you know, the place where the, where all departments of your government function. Well, the, the odd part here is that the American forces, the, the continental forces weren't so well defined and so well established that they had a whole lot of departments that had to be based in Philadelphia. So uh, ironically, when the English do, or the British actually do capture Philadelphia, and they will do so on about the 25th or 26th of September. So they land at Elk Neck on the 25th of August. Within a month, they will have captured Philadelphia. So that's the Philadelphia, that portion of the Philadelphia campaign. The continental government basically just picked up and moved somewhere else. And so the whole idea that once you capture the capital, you win 
doesn't really work when there's not much of a capital to capture in the first place. But the crown forces are operating under this feeling that if we take the capital, we can then, you know, bring the Americans back to the negotiating table and, you know, end the war. So that puts us to early, late August, early September, 1777. And what Washington does is he moves his army down through Philadelphia and actually into Wilmington area of, of Delaware. Uh, and then sends a a newly created light infantry corps out to the area around Cooch's Bridge, Iron Hill, Chestnut Hill. And it's this light infantry corps that will be the organization that actually fights the battle at Cooch's Bridge against the, um, the crown forces that will be there. The light corps, the purpose of that light corps is as a reconnaissance force. It's a... Um, uh, uh, force that is there to gather intelligence, to, uh, you know, uh, block roads and try to get us, you know, basically, you're, you're, it's your eyes and ears of the army. Um, by definition, it's referred to as a light infantry corps. Um, in, uh, in, the, in the British army at that time, and increasingly in the American army, but as the war progresses, you have a light infantry group of men, a light infantry company that is often detached for service because these are supposed to be some of your most uh, kind of energetic um, uh, uh, and, uh, men with a lot of endurance, some level of training and able to fight kind of in open order. And so you, you're get, you've got a group of men here who are supposed to be some of your better soldiers are in the light infantry. So these men kind of go into the area of Cooch's Bridge to kind of scout it out. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, with the British force, they moved from Elk Neck up to the town of the Head of Elk, which is now the town of Elkton. The light infantry, the American Light Infantry Corps, is there to keep an eye on the major roads that are heading uh, towards Wilmington and Philadelphia. They are there to to uh, scout out whatever the British forces, Crown forces, might be doing. So uh, the light, the American Light Infantry Corps that fights at Cooch's Bridge comes into existence uh, on the 28th of August. So we have a British force that lands on the 25th of August. Three days later, the American Light Infantry Corps is created, and they will be in existence for about a month. They are created on the 28th of August, and they are gone by about the 28th or so of September. They are created by uh, uh, selecting soldiers from each of the uh, state brigades that are currently making up Washington's main army, and they are then drawn from those units. They are supposed to be soldiers who are marksmen, who are good shots. Some of them we are finding through the archaeology and the historical records to actually be armed with rifles as well as muskets. Continental soldiers, and uh, by definition, a continental soldier at that time would be what, what today we would consider to be sort of the, the regular soldiers, our regular army. The continental soldiers are uh, coming from each of the different state uh, regiments that make up this force. They are coming... Uh, the, the soldiers that make up that light infantry corps are drawn from North Carolina, uh, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and Virginia. There aren't any Delaware Continentals or Maryland Continentals that are in this corps at that time. However, there are Newcastle County militia who are attached to this unit, 
And there are a large number of Pennsylvania militia who are attached to this. And they're coming from a number of the different counties uh, in Pennsylvania, Chester County, York County, uh, probably Lancaster and Cumberland counties. And these soldiers are being chosen, particularly those Pennsylvania soldiers are being chosen because they are armed with rifles. And that's something that seems to be the attempt in the attempt here is to create what what I would refer to as a kind of a combined arms force. It's both musket armed and rifle armed. Um, the, the difference here being that the rifle, while it has more accuracy and can fire, gives you a further distance uh, in in fire, um, it fires a smaller ball and it takes a it takes longer to load a rifle and you cannot put a bayonet on a rifle. So the must while as the musket soldiers, the, the musket armed soldiers, um, their accuracy is probably lower because the musket is a smooth bore. So the ball kind of comes out and doesn't doesn't have that true uh, trajectory that a rifle has. But you can put a bayonet on a musket and you can fire your rate of fire is faster with the musket. So by combining these two groups of soldiers, rifle armed and musket armed, you kind of get the best of both worlds there, basically. So as this force of both muskets and rifles come into the Coochers Bridge area, can you kind of give us a rough play-by-play of the actual battle itself? That corps was commanded by Brigadier General William Maxwell, who was a New Jersey Brigadier General. Uh, he was given a sign, uh, given the, the command of the corps by George Washington, um, and then the officer corps that helps make that up are these soldiers that are coming from the various state regiments. So we have uh, officers, uh, lieutenant colonels, majors, and colonels that are coming from North Carolina, New Jersey, Virginia, Pennsylvania. The light corps is brought into existence and moves out to the Cooches Bridge area where they are kind of fanned out in front of the, uh, the army watching the principal roads that lead into the area. So you have uh, some of the officer corps are people like uh, uh, John Marshall, who is a, a lieutenant at the time, will, will become when the United States is created, the Chief Justice of the United States. So he fights at Beaches Bridge. Uh, there's a, a merchant who, out of Philadelphia named Francis Gurney. He is a, a major at the time of the battle he will eventually go on to be a founder of uh, uh, John Dickinson uh, uh, Dickinson College out in um, Carlisle, Pennsylvania. Um, there are others, uh, North Carolinian uh, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Alexander Martin uh, will resign soon after the his service in the Light Infantry Corps, uh, noting that it was extremely difficult duty to be in the Light Infantry Corps. And he, but he will go on to be uh, governor of North Carolina but he fights it in, uh, at Cooch's Bridge. There are a number of officers that we now know who fought there that uh, through the research that I've done over the last 20 to 30 years, uh, we actually have gotten names of a lot of these soldiers and, that, and it shows up in their pensions and it shows up in a number of other sources where we can kind of reconstitute who these soldiers are. Uh, so to get back to your question, on the 3rd of September, uh, the Crown forces are moving out of uh, the head of Elk or Elkton as it is today. The road, the principal road that led from Elkton to Cooch's Bridge is Old Baltimore Pike. And that is still essentially the same road that is there today. That road bed or that road trace hasn't changed appreciably. 
that road is referred to as Old Baltimore Pike because that's exactly where it goes. If you follow it to its extreme, it will get you to Baltimore and it will eventually lead you to Philadelphia. It was a King's Highway. It's an 18th century road, probably laid out in the 1720s. It was a, it was a major uh, sort of north-south artery. It crosses at Cooch's Bridge because that was a principal crossing point of the Christina River, or at this point, more like the Christina Creek. Uh, if you know Delaware geography, Wilmington sits on the Christina River. And so this is, you basically, as you work your way up the Christina, you get to this point, this crossing point of the river. Um, the road led to the village of Christiana Bridge, and Christiana Bridge is also the head of tidal navigation for the Christina River. So you could move boats by water all the way up to Christiana and then offload people, goods, objects, and things at Christiana Bridge. So the town of Christiana Bridge, while you look at it today, you're not very impressed. Uh, it actually was a fairly significant, a very significant shipping point. Uh, it kind of in the on, in the middle of, of the colonies. It was a place where you had to offload things, move them overland to the head of Elk, and then you could put them on boats again and send them down the Chesapeake Bay. So the Crown forces led by Hessian uh, Jaegers, or literally the term means hunter. They are the equivalent of the American light infantry. They are also uh, light infantry, green clad in their jackets uh, with uh, rifles. They carry rifles and they carry short hunting swords. They don't have uh, the ability to put bayonets on their rifles. They carry short stabbing swords, basically. Um, they are the front end of the Crown Forces. They're the advance guard of the army. The army is on the move on the morning of September 3rd. Uh, the day before, they had sent some forces up onto Iron Hill and determined that the Americans were in force sitting on Iron Hill and they therefore didn't want to push the crossing. Now, Iron Hill, as we look at it today, it's about 330 feet high. It's not a big obstacle, but in the 18th century, it functions as a pretty significant obstacle. It's an observation point. It's an obstacle. If you tried to go over that hill, the Americans could have slowed you down pretty significantly. So the movement of the Crown Forces is essentially to go south of Iron Hill and march towards what is today the village of Glasgow, what at the time then was known as the village of Aiken's Tavern, uh, named for the man who ran a tavern that was in that site. There was also a Presbyterian church there, so you had your ability to go to the tavern and the church in the same village. When you get to Aiken's Tavern, uh, that force that was being led by uh, the Hessian Field Jaegers, which was under the command of Captain Johann Ewald, turns north up what is essentially today Route 896. Um, as you go north up Route 896, Old Cooch's Bridge Road breaks off from that, and that's the route that the battle is fought along is Old Cooch's Bridge Road. According to Avald, no sooner had they turned north on that road, they'd gone about maybe 600 paces is what he says. Um, they were fired on by a, an American force that was laying an ambush for them. He was leading, Ewald was leading a, a mounted party of Jaegers, and he says that of the six that were with him, all six were either killed or wounded in the first firing. His horse reared up and took a, a number of uh, musket balls in its belly and died later that night. He said had he had his horse not reared up, he too would have been a casualty in the first firing at Beach's Bridge. 
Evald orders the Jaeger, uh, the Jaeger Corps, the three companies that comprise that Corps, to deploy uh, uh, to the right or east of Old Cooch's Bridge Road. And those three companies attack the American forces there. But it's important to note that the American force, by every account, the Hessian forces, every Hessian that we have the information from says the Americans attacked them. It wasn't the other way around. The Americans were extremely aggressive in this fight and fired on them in their advance. And that ends the first part of our coverage of the Battle of Cooch's Bridge. Tune in next week to hear the rest of the story and find out what the future of the Cooch's Bridge historic site is.